a joy to be with you this morning, to be able to open up God's word, the bread of life. I trust that he'll have a message for you, something just, even if you get a little bit out of the entire scope of the message. As we deal with that topic, when you're being hammered by stress, what do you do? But if you turn to Psalm 46 and stand for the reading of God's word and then prayer, I'd appreciate that very much. It's short, so I'm going to read the whole thing. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, Behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you with thankfulness that we have your word to go to in all seasons of life with every issue that we've got. Sometimes we're devoid of that because we just skip over it. And yet the answer lies right there. And we tread through life's sorrows and difficulties and stresses and we don't even give you a second thought. May this grab us this day. Show us, Father, a picture of yourself and what you do and how we need to run to you and not other things. Teach us, God, to gaze at Jesus and glance at our problems. What a big difference there is. Now we would ask that you open up your word word by word, verse by verse, section by section, and make some meaning from this. I pray for your insights, your empowerment, your wisdom. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. It was at the University of Washington that Robert Holmes, who was dealing in the area of psychiatry and psychology, came up with a test and The name of that was the Holmes-Ray stress test. And what Holmes did, he looked at the major life issues, the changes that occurred, the things that came upon us or come upon us sometimes that we were unaware, and they multiply. And he started to assign a value to each one, a point value, a life stress value. And as you would go through the list, as he would give it to his clients, 
they would check off what was going on in their lives and they would start to total what the amount of stress was according to this diagnostic. Now it had its limitations, but it was a tool that was used very readily by him and then later on by others as well. If you got to 200 points, you were in deep weeds. You had some problem. You were about ready to blow your lid. Now listen to some of these points. And you might, don't try to write down the, the point itself, but if you can identify with the, the value of it, and it has its mark on you right now, well, put that total down. And at the end sometime, not during the message where you're going to count everything up, just total up and see where you are. Now, again, I'm not going through all 42. You'd say, no, pastor, thanks. We don't want to do that either. But consider this. Death of a spouse, 100 points. You're halfway there already. Divorce, 73. Death of a close family member, 63. Marriage, 50. Fired from work, 47. Retirement, 45. So is it better to get fired or retire? I don't know. It's about the same. <laughs> Pregnancy, 40. The addition to the family, 37. Business readjustment, 39. Change in financial structure and status, 38. Change in work responsibilities, 29. Son or daughter leaving home, 29. Here's a good one. Trouble with in-laws, 29. Outstanding personal achievement. See, it's not all bad, 28. Your spouse begins to start work, 26. Trouble with the boss, 23. Change in schools, 20. Change in social activities, 18. Change in sleeping habits, 16. Change in eating habits, 15. Vacation, 13. Christmas season, 12. Probably ought to put that at 50 sometimes, huh? Minor violation of the law, 11. That was, that was a 42 that he had when he designed this test. And so you could look at that and say, this is sort of where I am. I've got a lot of needs in the area of stress management, or maybe I'm not there right now. But the fact is, sooner or later, most people will find themselves being hammered by stress situations. Or they're going to know somebody else that's going to need some help. They can see what's going on in their life, and they have conversation with them. And as they talk to them, they see the accumulation of all these factors and they see the load that's bearing down upon their shoulder. And possibly they can jump in to assist them. I'm going to suggest that in Psalm 46, we have the bottom line, the ultimate in dealing with stress. There are a lot of other factors and other things that might be able to be added to it. But Psalm 46 takes almost the whole of Scripture and you'll see some things here that you've seen in other passages. And I'll refer to other scriptures quickly and bring them to bear into the message. But 
just look at how this unfolds and see how it can help you and help somebody else and get us rightly aligned and adjusted to deal with life's situations. This was a very tumultuous time for Hezekiah the king, the time of Israel around 700 B.C. And either these were the words of Hezekiah given to somebody else or somebody else just put them together. But Jerusalem was under attack historically by the Assyrian Empire and Sennacherib the king. And Sennacherib was known for his wickedness, his vile treatment of the opposition. They would literally devastate places that they went into. They would destroy everything. There were corpses uh, laying out on the ground. They would burn things to the ground. They would impale people on stakes. They would drag them through the streets to warn others as to what was going on. And so when you look at that situation, you might look at your own and say, well, I, I don't have it bad at all whatsoever. But it gives us that picture. And the very first thing in the first stanza of three, three verses is, we need to realize that God is available for deliverance. Just available. He's available to me and you just as he was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they were thrown into the fiery furnace, as Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, as Israel was backed up against the Red Sea with the charging army of the Egyptians, and all of history of all the things that have occurred. He is available. When stressed out, we might cry out, who can help me? I need some help. And God always answers, I can. I'm available. Turn to me, all the ends of the earth. The verse, first verse says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There's a victorious um, math, mathematical equation here. You've got offense and you've got defense. It's assured, he says, I'm your refuge. Run to me. I'm available. Whom have I in but heaven but thee? And besides thee I desire nothing on earth. But also, he's the offensive one. He's the one that steps in. He's the one that can battle for us, just as he battled for David against Goliath. So he's our defense and our refuge. When the church was scattered after the resurrection of the Lord, Peter, in his second epistle, writing to the people that were under great persecution, said this in regard to an offense and a defense. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard lest being carried away by the air of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. Okay, be on guard, defense. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the offensive. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. If you're playing a ball game, you want to have both offense and defense. I know somebody will say, well, defenses win championships. Well, they don't do so without an offense, and vice versa. An offense does this and this. They won't win either without a defense. And, and both are there with our Lord. 
Martin Luther looked at that first line and that spurred him on to write, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, in the very beginning of the Reformation of the church. But God is a very present help in trouble or literally tight places versus the fact that you call, you expect somebody to assist you, they've helped you before, and for some reason, they're absent. Even a friend, they're conspicuous by their absence, or they just can't be there. Life's demands have cascaded upon them, and they have to say, no, I'm not available right now. And so with Israel, they had this desperate need and they were calling out to the Lord who was ever present and he was available to them even with the impending charge of the Assyrians who had wiped out the 10 tribes to the north some 20 years before and were on the march to do the same thing to Jerusalem and Judah and Benjamin. Verses 2 and 3 talks about the results with this realization that he is there. It's very picturesque poetry. He depicts the depth of the stress attack, the natural catastrophe. He puts it in the form of metaphor of nature. Therefore, based upon what's said, we will not fear, though the earth should change though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. And the Israelites looked at the sea, looked at water as a terrorizing place. Nobody wanted to be thrown, pitched into the ocean. But they did. They did they'd experienced something like that before. Excuse me. Now, I could really mix this message up. You want me to give it a good try? <laughs> Let me pull this thing over here so I've got a ledge to capture what I've got. And that won't happen again, hopefully. Well, we'll see what happens. Okay. I think we're together. I might not be together, but the paper is together here. <laughs> but these are words of application. This is going on. Terrifying for them. And he says, and, and when the... the Dirt falls into the ocean when, the, when everything falls apart, then the waves swell up. And it's nothing but a cacophony of distress and destruction. But there's no storm in life that can assail us without God being there. No matter what your situation is, no matter how ill you are, no matter what's going on on the, on the job situation or in the job situation, in your family, in your neighborhood, in our nation, as we look at it, and there's so much that's happening and we wonder, are we going to even have a nation? God says, I'm still here. Who are you going to look to? We have some other passages that affirm this, that he's always available we're told in Hebrews 13:5, I will never forsake you or leave you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he told his disciples, John 14, 
I go to the Father, the Father will send one just like me, the Spirit of truth. He will only be with you, he will be in you, and he will be with you forever. And he will be your teacher, he will guide you into all truth, he will be your comforter, he will take care of you. And nobody can take us from the very presence of God, we're told in Psalm 139. It was just a few years ago, 34, I was putting up Christmas lights, some of you were here, and the ladder gave way, and I did a flip, and fortunately, my hand came down before my head as I landed on cement. Shattered my wrist, I was in the hospital for 10 days, multiple surgeries, and all they could do was fuse it, because if he'd left the joint to act as normal, he said, you're gonna be begging for me to fuse it within short order because the pain is gonna to be too much. Well, in the healing process, in the recuperation, as I came home from the hospital, I made the mistake now and then of allowing the pain to get ahead of the medication. That is, I didn't take the medication soon enough. Don't make that mistake, especially with bone pain. And it was over the top, and it would keep me awake. I couldn't sleep. This one night, I was going from pillar to post. I would go from the bed to the couch to a chair to one room to another room, and I was getting mad. And who was I getting mad at? God. Let's be honest. I was mad at God for allowing this to happen to me. And so I went into the family room, flipped on the light. I can still see it. Grabbed my Bible. I'd been reading through the Psalms. And I was right at Psalm 139. And I began to read. Oh, Lord, you search me, you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You knew my thoughts, you knew what I was gonna say. You've enclosed me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high, I cannot attain to it. Now listen to this carefully. Where can I go from my, your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the place of the dead, Shoal, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn as fast as the sun comes up all the way around the earth, 24 hours, you're going all the way around the earth. If I take the wings of the dawn, you're still there. If I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, you're there. Even there thy hand will lead me. Thy right hand will lay hold of me. I was caught by God. I was in repentant mode right then. I don't want to face him again in that type of situation. I challenged God. Well, in that same incident, not that night, but I think it was a night or two before that, talking about God being available at all times, again, I'd allowed the pain to get way beyond where it should be.
and my arm was hooked up to an IV post to keep it up, to keep the blood up. And it was just throbbing, throbbing, throbbing. And Sarah had the sense to go get, she said, I'm going to go get a cassette tape from Los Gatos Christian Church Choir, and I'm going to put that in there. I said, that sounds fine. Great music. We'd been there 11 years before. She puts it in, clicks that thing, the very song that was on there, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. <laughs> there were 12, 15 songs on there. There was over an hour's worth of tape. It started right there. She had no idea. I didn't either. Do you think that that was not consoling to my heart? God was available. And that was being stated very clearly for me to understand, not to pass up and, and, and to just feast on that. And he got me through that time that night. Oh, dear people, he'll do the same for you. Just know this, God's available. We start there. And he ends that passage back here in Psalm 46, verse 3, with the word Selah. Selah means pause. Think about it. Slow down. Meditate upon what I just said. Don't skip on until you grab a hold of that truth. This is foundational. Appears 71 times in the Psalms, three more times in the book of Habakkuk, and that's it for the entire Bible. But how important it is when you see that little word appearing as you're reading through the Psalms. Take note. Look at this. Be careful. See what I'm saying to you. Well, the next step would come, and that is not only is God available, but as you have it in your outline there, God is able to deliver us. He's not just present. He can do something about it. We've all seen him act on our, our behalf when we put ourselves before him. And here he looks at the past actions. He sees the sufficiency of God. And verse 4 says, There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. Well, before the Assyrians attacked, before they laid siege to the walls and the city of Jerusalem, before they were turned away, and 185,000 Assyrians were slain one night by an angel of death. Hezekiah had a tunnel dug inside from the Gihon Springs, a water source, to the pool of Siloam, 1,777 feet through solid rock. It was a magnificent feat. And if you've been in, in Israel and if you've gone to Jerusalem, You've got to go through Hezekiah's tunnel, although Sarah says it's not for a shorter person because the water is flowing through there and it probably got up to her neck. I don't know. She can't remember, though. It was, you know, quite an experience that she doesn't want to repeat. <laughs> but they started from both ends. That's the amazing thing. And then they came and then they got close to each other and they could hear the hammering. They didn't have power tools or anything else. But they did this so that they'd have a continual water supply 
during the attack by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians would not even know what was going on. They would think that they were going to starve them out. Ah, ah, that wasn't going to happen. And so we believe that this is what's being referred to here. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Oh, the people were glad that they had that. The holy dwelling place of the Most High. Jerusalem was known as that place of the Most High God. But there's something that goes beyond just a, a, a physical tunnel that was being built. And I believe it's alluded to in verse 5. God is in the midst of her. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. A metaphor once again. Throughout Scripture, we see repeatedly that God is given the characteristics of a flowing river, of a life-giving sufficient river. For instance, in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 33, verse 21, but there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams. Therein shall go no galley, neither shall gallant ship pass by. This is all of him. Then, as you have in the outline, skip Isaiah 8, which dealt with a king in a river of tyranny. But in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus, when he had to pass through Samaria, came to the woman at the well, and she wanted to draw him water. Remember? Physical water. And this is what he said, everyone who drinks of this well water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water I shall give him shall come to him as a well of water springing up to eternal life. I'll give you life-giving sustenance as he was talking about himself in the place of the physical water. On the last night of the Feast of Tabernacles, commemorating their time in the desert, the wanderings with Moses, when they would build tabernacles and they would dwell in those. On that last night, as they would bring water from the Gahon Springs in a golden picture, they would take it to the temple and they would pour it on the altar. Jesus got up and he cried out to the people, if any man is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him would receive. The Holy Spirit was yet to be given. Pentecost was yet to come. But again, he was saying, I'm the living water. I'm the one that you thirst for. You might not recognize that, but come to me and you will not thirst again. You'll thirst when you have agua like this, but not when you have me as your soul's sufficiency. Verse 6 reviews the, the concurrent um, aspects of God's reign his sovereignty, the nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, the earth melted. He's in total control. The Lord of hosts is with you, he says. Emmanuel is with you. 
from where we get the word Emmanuel, God is with you. Remember in the book of Matthew, upon the birth, the pronouncement of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7, he says, Emmanuel, God will be with you in speaking of the birth of Christ himself. Now, he doesn't have the fullness here of God, but he has with you. The Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God, he will be with you. And he repeats the fact that God, the Lord of hosts, is with them. He's with us. The psalmist could have rehearsed all of the history of the nation of Israel, but he didn't need to do so. They knew it. They had studied it in scriptures. And now it's coming to bear upon this. And notice this. He doesn't say the hosts of the Lord. Not the hosts of the Lord. It's the Lord of the hosts. When talking about the hosts, it's Sabaoth. It's the created angelic beings who are sent forth to be ministering spirits to those who are of salvation on the earth. We're told in Hebrews chapter 1. But it's the Lord himself who commands the angels of glory. And he says, he is with us. And to punctuate that, he says, and emphasizes, he says, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. It was from Jacob that the entire 12 tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel, sprung up. Jacob, that deceiver. Jacob, that one who was always running away from God. Jacob, who was fearful of his brother. Jacob, who deserved nothing but received the grace of God poured out upon him, even in a wrestling match. Genesis chapter 32. And here, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob. He is our stronghold. He could take care of Jacob. He could take care of the 12 tribes of Israel. He can take care of you, and he can take care of me. I don't care what your situation is. You put it in the hands of the Lord. He can take care of it. He is with us. And once again, the little word Selah appears. One more time of those 71. Pause. Stop trying to do something. And I realize that in America, if we pause too long, they'll declare us as dead. <laughs> you know, we're always going here, there, doing things. And we just need to pause a little bit. And that brings us to the last point here. As we look at this, the passage set before us has its high point in the last four verses here. And he talks about responding to God in attentive devotion. Behold the works of the Lord, first, verses 8 and 9. We need to look and see what he's done in our life, in other people's lives. For me, I have to look back sometimes and say, what did you do in the life of this church? You came here, <laughs> we patch. Sign falling down. Jeff and Tammy were here. Future home of Grace Community Church, sure, it really looked like it. We had a water pump back here to keep it legal and keep it licensed in a certain way for conditional use permit. 
but there were a people, there was a few people of God who trusted God and wanted something to happen. And step by step by step, you just look back, and, and that's only in the area of ministry. When we look at the area of our own life and what has God has done, count our blessings one by one. He says, come behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. Oh yeah, he can do that. He can destroy as well as build up. Anybody that defames him is on the wrong side. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Now we're not dealing with chariots anymore, but he can take a jet out of the sky. He can take a cruiser, another vessel to the bottom of the ocean. He can take out any opposition that he wants at his time, at his behest. There's nothing that can stop him. And so he's saying, take account of these things. Reminisce on what he's done and is doing right now. And then with those factors there, first behold, after you've beheld his works, then behold God himself. Verse 10, cease striving and know that I am God. Shush! <laughs> Quiet. Relax. Sit down. Stop. Contemplate. Stop fighting. Start to look at me as available and able and ready to enter into your situation. Secondly, know that I am God. The heavens declare the glory of God. We can look at that. How everything is framed from cosmology. We can see the pur purposeful declaration of God in all of creation. We can see his power. We're told in Romans. And many people disavow that. But it's there. It's right before us. But then the specific teaching of the very word of God that shows us what he's done, who he is, all of his characteristics. He says, I'm the God whom Isaiah said in Isaiah 40. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him. His recompense is with him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing lambs. I think of being in Moldova multiple times on planting churches and the shepherds out in the fields. It was always good to interact with them, especially when they were coming in for the evening. And many times they would be carrying a little lamb in their arms, maybe one that was just tuckered or one that maybe had strayed. 
and they were gingerly taking care of them. And then he also said, though, behold the arm of the Lord. In 1976 or 77, I was opening up the pharmacy at Grand Ronde Hospital in Eastern Oregon. It was the medical center out there. And I was going to church with, a, with another couple, the Charlestons, and it was right before Easter. And they had this huge mural. I mean, it was big on the front of their church or right behind the pulpit and the choir and everything else. And it was a depiction of Christ coming out of the tomb. And I still see it, his arm, just power, just the power of God depicted in a picture. But it stuck with me all these years, the combination of a soft touch, but also the power when needed to intervene and work on our behalf and do what only God can do. And he gets the praise. This is the God that was being declared. We're to be silent, we're told. We're to be quiet. We're to enter into a sanctuary, so to speak, and focus upon the Lord through his creation and through his word. And just see how he can enter into your situation and deal with it. If not today, maybe tomorrow, maybe the day afterwards. But he will, he will in his time. He is never late. He won't show up early, but we're not always on the same clock. <laughs> That's for sure. But he's ready, he's willing, he's available. Here are some other passages you might consider. You've heard these before. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul wrote this, saying, be anxious for nothing. Don't be stressed out by anything. But in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 26, verse 3, the person who keeps their mind upon God, he will keep in perfect peace. Trust in the Lord, and he will do it. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we have a mighty God who's running the race before us. Feast our eyes upon him who has gone before us. Gaze upon him. Matthew 11, Jesus said to the masses, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I needed a nap yesterday, and I took a rest. <laughs> but sometimes we need a nap from life's activities and, and life's stresses. I'm not talking about a sleeping nap. I'm talking about a real... Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, my word, my truth, and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden is easy and my load is light. He's not going to overdo it. He's going to take care of us. 
And then Peter wrote to the scattered church, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting, not bringing it in, like taking a baseball and throwing it, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Humble ourselves, swallow our pride, recognize we need him. We need him all the time, every hour, every minute, every second of our life. What a difference. And then the consummate verse is Revelation 3.20, which is so often used for evangelism, and appropriately so as an application. Jesus stands at the door and knocks, the door of our heart. If anyone hears his voice and opens up the door, he will come in and literally commune with us and we with him. Now, once we become a follower of Christ, that's just as effective. In fact, that entire passage was to those who were of the church, a lukewarm church as it was. But open up the door. Keep the door open. Keep communion going on with the Lord. He'll take care of these things even before they start to happen. He knows what's around the bend. And he wants to take care of it in a wonderful way. And so as we behold the Lord, know that his plan will be enacted in his way and his time, and he will intervene. And we come now to the very end of the message, and we look at this, understanding that, you know, I talked about Martin Luther, and Luther, in the middle of the, well, it was the 13th year, now I take it back, the Reformation started in 1517 and 1529 at what's called the Diet of Spires where they were doing some theological convocation work. Having been under tremendous pressure, his life was always at stake in those early years. He wrote what I call the Christian anthem. You know, we have the national anthem. This is the Christian anthem. A mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark, the first line of defense, never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. We have an adversary, the devil of hell is his name. Did we in our own strength confide? Did we think that we could take him on? Did we think that we could take on these issues of life in our own way or somebody else in man's way? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be, Christ Jesus it is he. Lord Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, his name, from age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. Not might. He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled, we're told by Luther himself that when he rode into Worms in 1521 
to face Cajetan and the hierarchy of the church, to disavow his writings and his work. It was an interrogation time. That as he looked at all the tiles on the roofs of the city of Worms, it was as if each one of them represented a demon of hell. That's what he felt like, that he was going into the lyre of the demons of hell. This comes out in this song. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to him, abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him, Christ, who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go. Don't hang on to everything. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. That's why it's the Christian anthem of all time. Almost been thrown down into the dust, garbage heap by Christendom itself, forgotten. But God hasn't forgotten what Luther wrote, and we should not either. We used to have a man come here by the name of Dr. John Hunter. He came from England quite a few years ago, late 80s, early 90s. And John would put on a weeks-long Bible conference here, as we called him, as he was known as the Little Englishman. Brilliant, wonderful, teaching us what life was about in Christ. What a privilege it was to be able to have him here. But he had a slogan that he left with us that became our slogan. For this I have Jesus. I don't know how many people I've given three by five cards with just the initials FT, FIT, HJ, or FTI, HJ. For this I have Jesus. I said, fill that out. Put one in your car. Put one in your bathroom. Put one in your kitchen. You're going through things. It's so easy to become distracted with other things and, and other ways to go. But for this, you've got Jesus. When I learned that I had multiple myeloma five years ago, that's the first thing that smacked me across my brain and my heart. For this, I have Jesus. He can do with me what he wants to do. He can preserve my life. He can take it. But I know this, he'll use it. And it will be to his glory. Let's make sure in our stresses of life that we recognize that God is available. The Lord Jesus is available. That God is able to do something. And then that we are to do our part and give him our full attention and respond as we see certain things unfolding before us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, 
Some of us are going to walk out of here and tomorrow we're going to run smack dab into the unexpected. And I pray that this will have armed them, ready to go. Others, it'll be six months from now or there's accumulation of things or they're dealing with things right now or they know somebody that needs just a little help and a little guidance. May the words of of the Lord Jesus and the words of scripture serve as a true panacea, the ultimate, to assist them through that time and that walk. Lord, I thank you for these moments. I thank you for these people. Lord, would you be honored to work in our lives? And Father, just as that one, I stand at the door and knock. If there are those that need to open up their life to you, may they do so. I just pray in Lord Jesus, I commit my life to you this day. I'm the sinner, you're the savior. Save me now, I pray for all eternity. Give me a home in heaven and give me a great purpose for life today. May your river of life flow through me. I ask these things now in Christ's name, amen.